Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed Review. Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, travel, entertainment, pop culture, and more. You can also catch me on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM. Uh, simulcast on the page, there's a big announcement coming later today I, uh, regarding the show, so I'm very curious. They've actually got me in the dark on this. I've got some rumors and speculation, but we'll find out. Um, uh, rumor, a new home, new format, but we will see. Uh, you can catch our quarterly magazine, Skew and Review the Magazine. We're getting ready to put out the new issue. In fact, as we are recording this, we're just putting the uh, finishing touches. We're getting those off to the publishers tonight and tomorrow. Places ranging from sci-fi radio to smash um, and open critic and more, as well as PinalCentral.com, which is a network of papers where we do our video game reviews. I'm joined as always with Justin and Michael. And we are getting close to the holidays, but we had a lot of big news come this week. The first off uh, for us, especially Michael and I, who were regular attendees there, very sad news, but not entirely unexpected. And that was the news that the Entertainment Software Association has announced that E3 is officially dead and will not be coming back. This is after uh, 2019, the last full-on show, saw Sony uh, not participate, saw Activision not on the floor and only taking part in closed-door meetings. We still had a really good show, but then COVID hit, 2020 got canceled, 2021 was a very small online thing. Uh, 2022 didn't really happen. Uh, and then 2023, this was the big planned return in person. We had our press uh, credentials all confirmed. We were all ready to go. And then uh, news that it got canceled due to the big boys not committing. And then those who were there not committing and not generating the interest. So uh, we'll start with Michael on this. What's your take on this? Do you think there's something in the future? Because some people have been cynical saying, oh, yeah, yeah, E3 is canceled, but they're going to announce E4 in 2025. Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think the writing's been on the wall for a while. Uh, you know, 2018, 2019E3s were really good, I thought. But when it, with the pandemic and, and everything else, people had to come up with a new means to pretty much do their business. And I think what... What you know, we had kind of talked about how PlayStation had kind of bowed out. Well, Nintendo had bowed out initially. They always had a, a, a floor presence, but for, as far as a, a an official, uh, you know, uh, announcement media event, um, they had kind of bowed out and gone to a strictly digital platform long before the pandemic. Um, EA had kind of done their own thing and kind of pulled out um, as well and, and kind of done their own sh show to the side of E3, which kind of left us with, you know. Bethesda, Sony, and Microsoft kind of being the key major players. I think once uh, Bethesda got scooped up by Microsoft, it kind of really, you know, limited the number of big players that were available at E3. Now, it was always great to see some of the, the less big studios uh, and some of the, uh, I wouldn't call them indie studios, but they were a little bit less, um, they weren't the, ma the big three. Um, but it was always great to kind of see what they had up, up in the works and what they were working on, that sort of thing. But I think the pandemic really kind of 
made people reassess how they did business. And again, a lot of this has to do with the fact that um, technology, particularly during the, during the pandemic and, and even leading up to the pandemic, virtual uh, became a lot more a viable solution. A lot more people um, were now had home internet, were doing a lot more of the virtual um, meetings, were doing a lot more virtual attendance of things. Um, the world just changed. And again, some of that was pandemic related. Some of that is just technology related. And I think a lot of those, uh, the big companies realized they could put on their own shows at their own pace, do them virtually and save a ton of money. Cause again, E3 was never cheap. The venue wasn't cheap. Um, floor space wasn't cheap. Um, getting people out there uh, to do these presentations wasn't cheap. I mean, there were a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of factors that were related to cost and, and, and the spectacle that I, that I really don't think was needed. Now, E3's kind of been through this before where they went from having a huge show floor and tons of uh, events to going back to a really small venue to going back to a large venue to now not doing anything. So I think what we, I don't know that we'll ever see the return of a big gaming convention in the sense that E3 once was. I think it might turn more into the way Gamescom has been kind of doing things where it's a game convention, but it's also a mix, uh, mix of like Comic-Con and um, a fan type event. Um, I guess you could say that uh, PAX and some of those are similar, but I think even PAX kind of has had its own means of doing things with mainly being indie type titles. Uh, so I think we could see something like a Gamescom type event in the future where it's a fan celebration with some of the larger um, companies showing up and doing some releases and announcements. Um, obviously, Gamescom seems to be doing fairly well. Uh, but I, I think that traditional E3, the one that we are so used to, um, with everything, with the big, all the big publishers being there, the big show spectacle, the big venues, I think that's probably gone, um, sadly. And we'll probably turn to more, you know, smaller events, virtual events, uh, maybe, you know, ones where there's a, a smaller crowd that's invited for, for um, announcements and reveals, that sort of thing. I just think when it comes to the way the world operates anymore, you know, virtual tends to be the way a lot of people are, are, are doing things. So I think I think the writing, again, was on the wall. I, I certainly think pandemic sped that up. Uh, I think without the pandemic, we might have seen a couple more years, maybe even going into this year uh, with it being the last year. But I still think... Um, the world had kind of moved on from that and had changed a lot. The abilities for them to show off stuff with a broader audience via, um, you know, using virtual tools and that sort of thing was a lot more um, usable than it used to be. And, and again, I think the pandemic did speed up that process, but I think we were destined to get there eventually anyways. Yeah, a lot of stuff to comment on that. And Justin's take. Justin, what do you make of all this? Yeah, I pretty much agree. Uh, I, what it reminds me of is I think we're kind of going through a moment that, you know, we've all lived through uh, multiple times, depending on the industry. Um, you know, at one point, uh, Blockbuster was a behemoth that, that uh, um, one of the, you know, a, absolutely huge con uh, company, you know, locations everywhere and that was just the way you would uh you would get movies you, you would go rent them you go physically rent them and i always kind of think back on uh situations like this when you got a situation or a, a company like um blockbuster that didn't 
adapt, but they could have. Like they were they were definitely in the position that if they had just seen where things were going, then they could have adapted to it. And I think really the thing that did E3 in was pretty much like what Michael's saying. The the pandemic was uh like was the definitely the foundation that that really like took out the foundation of E3. But really, I think the other aspect of it that that uh, you know was the the final nail, as it were, is Summer Games Fest, uh, kind of coming in at the same time, um, and kind of doing the same thing that E three would do. Now, there's a lot to be said that E three, I think, is a more because it had been going on so long, a more, I guess, professional. Uh, show and generally speaking you know if you compare the average e3 to the average i mean there isn't very many summer games fest because it's a relatively new thing but the last several summer games fest you know you compare it to e3 and it's really not quite the same i you know it's summer games fest i think does a good job for what it is but it doesn't reach quite the uh I'm not even going to say quite. It does not reach the same hype levels that E3 was able to achieve at its height. Um, and it probably won't for a long time. But I do think it had a major contributing factor to what ended up happening to E3 because you had a vacuum because E3 wasn't happening uh, in a virtual way. Um, so what ended up happening is a, a different venue which popped up around the same time when people kind of used to or expecting big reveals and they ended up taking a bunch of them. Now the, there's a, a third aspect, which I think Michael touched on really well, which is a lot of just companies that would pr participate in E3 or summer games fest. They ended up just adapting into their own uh, cadence or their own rhythm. So they, you know, it used to be a long time ago. It was, Oh, you'd get all your big reveals at E3 and then you'd get a few more in gamescom. And then maybe there was a, a just a couple smaller ones kind of peppered throughout the year at different events, but that was really kind of how it worked. Now Sony can run a E3 esque event um, on their own at any time, at any point in the year, whenever they're ready, uh, and get people almost as hyped as they would if they watched the Sony venue at E3. So there's that. That's another aspect I think that that really hurt E3. Uh, uh, but I do think if they had adapted earlier, if they had adapted to a virtual setup earlier, I think maybe they could have kept this going longer. And you never know. Um, I never say uh, never say never anymore. I, 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 it might be dead, but you know, you never know. Ten years from now, maybe there's a place for that again. Uh, but at least for the foreseeable future, I think. You know the fact that it they put so much effort into trying to make the 2022 one happen and it got canceled. I think really there wasn't much hope of it coming back for this year either. Yeah, funny because I've been looking, posting and sending stuff to me who were involved with it, and they didn't go into specifics, but they said. They had a lot of ideas in place. They were very excited for some of the directions that... And they, you know, they had all these ideas to refresh forward into the modern age, so on and so forth. And they said at the bottom line was, 
it just was not getting any interest from the developers. And that was what killed this year's show. It's you can't put on a show if people of note don't want to come because then the media is not going to come and then the people aren't going to come. I've had other people tell me what killed E3 was opening it up to the public. The moment they allowed the public to come in, it absolutely destroyed the show because it took it away from being a exclusive media event and first look at hands-on. Now, I'm kind of 50-50 on that because, Michael, I don't know if you were there that very first year they allowed the public in, but if you remember, we I told you about the, you know, it was absolute chaos because they flooded the floor, they were blocking the aisles, they were pushing. just to go from booth to booth because of the crush of people and it took them about an hour hour and a half and they figured it out and then it was pretty much easy navigation the years after that as you remember we were allowed in uh what was it about two hours or a couple we were allowed in a few hours before the public and what we simply did was that was our time to go and hit up the companies we did not have anything uh, appointment wise because some of them would say you know, hey, we're full on appointments, but just drop in, we'll take care of you. Others would say, we're not doing appointments, drop in. So, you know, as you remember, we would go and see Bethesda right off the bat. We'd go check out Sony. We'd do our bit before the crowd came in. And then when the crowd came in, it was more managed. And we would go to the places we had appointments. The last few years, it worked fine. But I've heard over and over and over companies did not want to be on a schedule anymore this you got to have something to show in june which had been the industry standard forever they did not want to do that anymore like you mentioned with sony i think it's glaring that sony does not even do their own expo anymore they more they just do the online showcase and you know the more i looked at it somebody i was talking to someone and they said why is it that comic-con and those came through the pandemic they're thriving. PAX is doing okay, even without drawing the big names. Why is this convention struggling? And I said, I think it's because it was a case of a shifting identity. Comic-Con is Comic-Con. You knew what you were getting. That's not changing. There is a demand for that because they do the biggest pop culture show anywhere in the world that doesn't change look at last year even with earlier this year i should say good it's great it's all coming crazy even without the actors even without the writers yes the tickets were sold before the strikes they still packed the place they still put on an amazing show because they're creative and they're adaptable and i think that was the biggest problem that people looked at e3 wasn't adapting you mentioned summer games fest i've heard some people say well we like the reveals of the video game awards, but they were short on the awards, and they're all, everybody wants to complain. And then, you know, the funny thing was, they did have a small floor show event for Summer Game Fest this year, but it was kind of, I, I'm going to flat out say it, it was a cherry-picked event. It was not open to all the media. It was basically open to select media that they invited. And while that's great, I look at it like this. If you're a guest at a private party, you're more likely to, you know, 
be on your best behavior as opposed to you remember the media who was there with all of these other members of the media and you're able to be more objective because as it were you're you're there to do a job so i think that's the trick we don't have the showcase for the reveals anymore i told someone flat out i said my policy on this has not changed i don't care how excited not get to pose and be with the props you do not get the energy of being around the other gamers and carefully edited select trailer is not the same experience i mean you would say you know michael we would walk in there not knowing what we would get and you'd be just blown away by the props and it was like wow you know i want to go over here and take my photo with this prop i want to go and play this game i want to do that and there was an excitement level to it I just don't see that in the trailers. Okay, so moving on, let's talk about the gaming news that came down the pipe a little while ago. Uh, word has it, Naughty Dog has stopped all uh, development of their Last of Us online game. Not, not entirely surprising. This has kind of been rumored for a while. Um, I'm basically in the camp of let's stop these remasters. I don't think we need as many of them let's get some new games out but mike uh, let's start with you justin what do you make of this yeah i'm i'm gonna agree with you i don't think it really surprises me either i was i'm gonna be completely honest kind of skeptical that this was going to come out uh from the get-go um they're not known for their online components um you know so this was so not naughty dog obviously has a very high pedigree they're very uh, they have extreme attention to detail. They're one of the few developers that have that that extremely high standard of quality for when they release release one of their games. It's going to be extremely polished. Um, but an online experience that they were kind of going for, I, I is just not something that they have have uh, really done before. Um, and I get they they definitely had that ambition going into last or last of us part two to do an online component and obviously it excited a lot of people but um i imagine it just behind the scenes didn't really uh quite meet the the standards that they were looking for um and you you kind of see this with other similar developers who uh, obviously have uh you know similar standards so you know when when a company goes into something new they usually struggle with it unless it's their primary focus. And even then, sometimes they they might release a product that's that's pretty good, but it, it takes another iteration for it to really be refined. I guess my example of this is uh, the style of game that Destiny is was not really Bungie's, uh, you know, normal game. They've been making Halo games for a very long time, and obviously there's many similarities between the way that destiny plays and halo but there were many things that uh that were in destiny that were new to bungie so doing kind of like a constant online experience kind of a little more open world not a single player campaign segmented out with arena shooter it was you know to be kind of like a shared open world or shared uh zone experience with other players 
Um, it had, you know, looter shooter kind of mechanics that they hadn't done before. And I, you know, I look at Destiny 1 and it's kind of a rough game. And they, obviously, they they definitely refined it in, uh, in Destiny 2. But you kind of see that uh, happen time and time again with developers where if unless they're extremely focused on that one thing and maybe maybe if they had focused this as specifically you know in a last of us online experience and that it wasn't just uh something they were developing alongside last of us part two that maybe this would have ended up meeting their standards but um you know i'm guessing that this is was a little bit outside of their what their their comfort zone and it's probably going to take um, you know, something more uh, of a more dedicated effort of their entire studio, or at least a large segment of their studio to come out with a, with a multiplayer game, if, if that's something that they end up doing at all. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm not super surprised, especially because we hadn't really seen what this was even, uh, we had heard a lot about it, but, uh, they never really showed exactly how it worked. They never, it never really got hyped up by them, um, so, uh, who knows exactly how far in development it was, but, um, maybe it, it's something they'll do at some point, but, uh, I'm going to guess that, you know, at, at least if it were me, I would try something on a smaller scale first and then build up to kind of what they were going for. But, uh, maybe it's something that they'll do last of us part three, or maybe they'll do something dedicated kind of like what Bethesda did with fallout 76. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, and I agree with what Justin was saying. I think the part of the problem with that that I always had with The Last was Online is I didn't think that world really lent itself to that sort of experience. Now, I could see with The Last of Us Part 3 or whatever it happens to be, maybe if they did a, uh, you know, made the entire thing two players or maybe the entire thing squad-based, like with four players, as you go through the storyline, again, because Naughty Dog is known for their, their expert storytelling um, and, and I think a lot of that gets lost whenever you do an online type experience um, because you kind of lose focus on what you're good at. Um, to Justin's point, like with Bungie, I mean, yes, they had Halo um, had the multiplayer uh, aspect of it, the arena shooter kind of aspect to it, but they also still focused on the main story. And, and again, I don't know that, that The Last of Us lore, uh, to me, when I played through the games, it, it always felt... The intentionally kind of empty of, of a lot of people, right? I mean, you you run into pockets of, of individuals um, and then obviously like the, the, the zombies themselves and that sort of thing. But I think when you, boy, it, it, those are one of those things where even, you know, they, they've done it with, you know, Left for Dead, they've done it for, for, for uh, some things. So you can do a, a survival horror genre with a, with a, kind of an online component or with a squad based component but i really kind of think it does take away from uh the 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 world and the story aspect of it because again at that point you're just focusing on what keeps people coming back to playing and you kind of lose you lose sight of you know telling a good 20 or 30 hour story um and then walking away from it it's part of the problem i have with some of these remastered too is because there's never enough for me to you know once i've gone through the story and again, we're not talking a remaster going from PlayStation 1 um, or PlayStation 2 even and then doing a remaster for the PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5. I, but 
you know, when we're talking PlayStation 3, which looked good, Last of Us looked good, and then going to PlayStation 4 or worse, doing this Last of Us 2 on PlayStation 4 and then doing a remaster on PlayStation 5, which honestly, outside of lighting and, and some of the, that sort of thing, doesn't interest me at all. Um, you know, you just kind of get to a point where you've been there, done that. And, and I think, uh, you know, and I think that's part of the, the, the issue with online games is unless there's a draw to keep people coming back to um, kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say it cheapens the brand because it, it can be done well. But, but the reality is, you know, all of a sudden you're focusing on how do I get more, how do I get people coming back with more interest to this, this world I'm building? And if they wanted to go to another uh, Last of Us 3 or something, how do we tie that into the, the broader sense? And it's a slippery slope because, you know, you start releasing, you know, multiplayer type things um, for one one area. And if it does well, then all of a sudden we're doing a full, full-blown, massively multiplayer online Uncharted series, right? I mean, there's just, it just doesn't always lend itself for some of these stories. And, and I'm, I'm honestly not disappointed that it's gone. I think I'd rather have Naughty Dog working on the next story that they want to tell the next single player experience. Um, I don't really care for an online experience for Last of Us. It wouldn't have been something that I would have been into, and maybe a bunch of people would have would have liked it and would have been excited about it. But I think what Naughty Dog realized, and I think a lot of the fans of the series are probably feeling too, is it just wasn't the right fit for this um, for this concept at all. What really surprised me about the whole thing is that one of the and it was just kind of nothing. It was basically like a team-based deathmatch where you're out, but you have to get supplies. And it was it was okay. I played it, you know, a couple of times, and I was like, yeah, this is this is not you know working for me. I'd rather get back into the story and the narrative. And they had said that. The problem with doing that was that it was going to tie up so much of the company's resources, it was going to take away from getting their next game out. And like you said, that's what we really want. I mean, I, I'm literally here going, I'm not saying don't go out and make a new uh, franchise, but I think we can all agree people want The Last of Us 3. And... smart and listening to what the, the you know the mood of the market is as it were uh, another game set up I wanted to mention was Ubisoft now when we were talking about E3 we did uh, you know they were one of the big players in there that had the showcase it was reported that when Ubisoft pulled out of this year's E3 after strongly committing to it domino effect Capcom Square Enix disappeared and that was the end of the show because Ubisoft apparently was the big one who had committed early, said they were going to be there. And then when push came to shove, they basically said, you know what, we're not going to be able to get playable demos on time. And, you know, everybody was looking forward to Prince of Persia. They were looking forward to um, uh, 
Assassin's Creed Mirage, Star Wars Outlaws, Avatar, that sort of thing. Uh, let's see, Prince of Persia is coming next year, but you know, Avatar has come out, Mirage has come out. But this weekend, we are getting the new closed beta of the pirate game Skull and Bones. And I have heard some rumors, and it is not the free-to-play thing that seems to have gone by the wayside. I have heard rumors that when they were announcing the new updates for Homeland 2, uh, apparently there's a lot of belief that Homeland 3, uh, did I say Homeland? I meant to say The Division 3 is in development now. So, Michael, you and I have been Division fans. I remember playing the early version with you of Part 2 at E3, and uh, we played, you know, online a few times. So, what do you make of uh, Skull and Bones going into the beta, and what do you make of potentially another home, uh, another division game? Well, I will say I'm commit. I, I'm impressed with the commitment to Skull and Bones because I think a lot of us thought that was dead in the water, pun intended. But uh, you know, for years, and yeah. then we we saw the um, the beta kind of release what, earlier this year, um, and then the upcoming beta. So I, you know, I. Again, Skull and Bones, uh, one of those things that I think, I, I don't know, I, I think it has a lot of promise to what it can do. Um, I just I just am kind of waiting to see, because again, this was initially based off of the uh, Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag um, kind of pirate combat. It was announced, wow, I don't even know how long ago now, was, what, seven years ago? Six, seven years, I believe, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, and we've seen this before where kind of games have come out of the blue and surprise us. Uh, you, you know, again, I, I hope it does well. I haven't played the beta. I haven't really uh, followed it much. Not because pirate ship combat doesn't interest me. I think that's actually something that's at least unique and not something we see. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, we haven't seen a lot of that um, outside of the Microsoft one, which the name is escaping me right now. Um, so I, I'm, I'm interested to see how, how that goes. Uh, you know, what the price point is for that is, you know, I, I, I hope that for from an interest perspective, they're not going to release it at a 69.99 price point. Um, and again, I don't know the I don't know the, the specifics of outside of the, the ship to ship combat, what more to expect. Uh, so, yeah, I'll be interested to see how it goes. Now, um, the Division three, I would be really interested. I thought the first one was outstanding. Um, second one was fine. I, I, I thought it was good. Um, you know, I, I think the, the Division 1, um, the whole pandemic uh, thing, it, when it released, you know, a couple of years before the actual pandemic or a year before the actual pandemic, I thought the timing was pretty fortuitous on that. Um, and even with the second one, as far as, you know, being relevant to, you know, our days and, and time. So, um, obviously, uh, Division 3 I would be absolutely interested in. Um, again, I think those two games have been ones that uh, definitely have people coming back for more. And I think the, the, the hook that they have is enough to kind of keep me interested in playing. So, yeah, I would definitely be interested in that. Uh, again, that's been, along with the Prince of Persia type stuff, um, that's really been a, a key, you know, along with the Siege was, was huge for them. Um, and that was a game that also was very slow to start, uh, but became massive. Uh, those are kind of ones I think that Ubisoft is kind of hanging their hat on. Um, the Skull and Bones again, I, I I don't expect that to be big numbers, but hey, what do I know? Maybe it'll be, maybe it'll strike a, a chord with folks. But yeah, we'll be interested to see, um, 
you know, outside of the rumors, what do we see? We'll get some announced. And I'm still uh, uh, hoping for Beyond Good and Evil 2, but I'm beginning to think that's probably not going to happen either. Let's not forget Star Wars Outlaws, too, later next year. Okay, uh, Justin, what is your take on all this? Yeah, so uh, I, I never played much of The Division, but uh, Skull and Bones is interesting because uh, I think the game, the other one, the other big one that uh, did come out and has had multiple updates and expansions and things like that is the Sea of Thieves. Um which, which I think is uh, it developed by Rare and um, uh, published by Microsoft. Um, so I guess it, it it's a little strange. Skull and Bones is a little strange because I think it started at, at least it you know like like you mentioned it been and we we knew about it for seven years and who knows how long it was in development before that. But like you mentioned, it was kind of based on. Uh, the very well-received combat system, sea co naval combat system from Assassin's Creed Black Flag. So you would think, and I don't know what goes on behind the scenes, of course, but it was just kind of odd. You know, they had such a good foundation with Black Flag. You would think that it would be that would be a good springboard into creating a full game. Um, but who knows what happened behind the scenes? Why it got delayed so long? Um, but uh, I guess it, what what's a little strange is that they're even though it's a different publisher, EA versus Microsoft, they're kind of I, I guess they're they're in the same wheelhouse in the sense that I I, I kind of associate um, this with kind of Xbox. So, and I don't know if that's accurate to say, but um, both Sea of Thieves and uh, um, this new game. Um, will kind of be occupying very similar spaces. It's just see if these have obviously been around much longer and been on the market much longer. So I'm curious to see, uh, what skull and bones is like. Um, but, uh, I did really enjoy the combat system from black flag. So, you know, hopefully it does do well. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to see uh, what, what the end product is like. I'm curious to see when, and if any of these rumors are going to get announced this year, and if so, when? Because, you know, naturally we could say, well, when's the next Summer Game Fest and so on and so forth. But we've also known that Ubisoft will do an Ubisoft forward when the need arises. And, you know, let's not forget the other franchise out there, Far Cry, that we've heard rumors of a seventh game set in the Alaskan wilderness. And I know there have been more. I'm just going by the sequential numbers. And then there was also rumors of a big online uh, only one now of course I figure that might get folded into the actual uh, game but you know it'll be interesting to see you've got rumors of Division 3 you've got rumors of um, another Far Cry game and all, all of these other things be just very curious without E3 to see if these are true when and where the announcements are going to come are we going to start seeing the industry looking forward to Okay, we got the video game awards. We've got Gamescom opening night live, and we've got um, Summer Game Fest. And the other question is, you know, is somebody going to step up and say, you know what, I think we can do what E3 was trying to do and do it better? Uh, is some competition going to come up there? And, you know, is it going to take a very high profile, high budget game or two? 
to bomb horribly for companies to say, you know what, maybe we need to get back out there in front of the consumers. I mean, uh, you guys uh, remember the old Daikatana thing? Mm -hmm. And they, they, you know, hyped that thing beyond belief and trade shows and so on and so forth. And that's kind of one of those dual-edged swords where you could say, without the trade show, might it have done better, but the trade show, you know, got people at least going, oh, hey, this thing actually does exist, it's viable. Same with Duke Nukem Forever. I mean, we, you know, I still remember my wife saying at PAX, who, you know, wasn't known for making announcements, hey, Duke Nukem's here, and I thought a retro game or a cosplay, and lo and behold, it was Duke Nukem Forever, uh, pitch from Randy Pitchford and playable demo right there behind closed doors. So, who knows? Well, folks, lots of stuff going on. And uh, we will be back next week with some new information. Until that time, be safe, take care, and have a great evening.